0: And now, this message from Maureen and Wendy. Hey there! Howdy! So, we're about to launch into our episode with Mary Walsh, who everyone knows or probably knows. But a little bit of full disclosure here, we, we need to place, we need a bit of an update. We need to place this in context.
1: Yeah, although we, we, our intention is that there would be a certain timelessness to the conversations that we have with our women of ill repute, time stops for no man or woman or non-binary person
0: yeah so the update is just so you know we talked to mary the day after the oscars those oscars
1: yeah the day after the slap was heard around the world when oscar nominee will smith struck presenter chris rock on stage for ostensibly insulting his wife jada pinkett smith jada i love you gi jane too can't wait to see it all right
2: Uh oh, Richard! <laughs> oh, wow! Wow!
0: Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Yeah, and so, not surprisingly, Mary Walsh, as a comedian and just like as a human being, she had a lot to say about that, just so you know. Here we go. The Women of Ill Repute, with your hosts, Wendy Mesley
1: and Maureen Holloway. We felt like dog-faced girls on prom night. What if we get
0: stood up? Yeah, we were afraid you wouldn't show up, but there you are. We're so, we love you, so
2: we're so happy you're here. I don't have a fucking reputation for not showing up. I made be the radio of ill repute, but I have never not shown up, I don't think, since the really early days.
0: Well, you weren't the first person we thought of when we said women of ill repute. So, you know, we haven't gotten hookers yet, but we're working towards that.
1: You were definitely in the top five, I can tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah, so great to see you here, Mary. Uh, great to
2: be here. Nice to see you, Wendy. Yeah, you've, you've all got books and I've got wine glasses, which in the background, which is appropriate, I think. Mine are actually videos. My books are in another room. This is my office with just old videos. Like young people go, is that VHS there? And I go, yeah, some of them are even beta.
1: But Mary, I have to tell you, you must know this because I remember my wedding was shot on VHS and what happens over time, the sound remains, but the images disappear. So you have these ghostly people reciting their vows in my case. So you might want to check on some of the older stuff because if you didn't get it moved to DVD, then you're out of luck.
2: Yeah, I just didn't throw it away. It's old CODCO shows. Andy, one of my colleagues in CODCO, has always been the archivist. And so, you know, it's just like one of those things, you know, like it's there. I don't give a fuck about it. If it's not there, it's not there. You know, somebody's got it somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not thinking, oh, my God, I've got to keep these old CODCO sketches or else they'll never be there because I feel quite secure that Andy's already got them sent them off to Memorial University in the archives there and that they've done all that. I'm thinking that that's the truth. It could be, could not be, but still.
0: Yeah. Someone asked if I was going to write a book and I was like, well, I would, except that I have no archives and no memory. But aside from that.
2: But are all books memoirs? I mean, look at Rick and Mark. They've already got two. uh, Well, Rick has three, I think by now. I was just talking to him on the phone. He's 16 years younger than me. So I guess he's 53 and he's got three memoirs. And Mark Critch is even younger than that. And he's got two memoirs. I mean, is there no end to fucking memoirs? Write a novel. You don't have to remember anything.
1: I have your novel displayed prominently on my bookshelf. And you're in St. John's now, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yep. Yeah. So is that just a love-love relationship now? Because at one point it was a love-hate relationship, at least according to the main character in your book, who of course was named after me, I want to point out.
2: That's right. You know, everybody in Newfoundland, you know, we were dragged kicking and screaming into the 20th century out of uh, kind of feudal kind of times where people didn't have access to money. They actually just gave their fish to the merchant and then the merchant gave them their supplies. You know what I mean? So The 20th century was, you know, and so there was a great amount of shame at that point when we were making that transition, you know, which quickly passed. But there was a point where you would rather be anywhere. And it's really interesting now to be in Newfoundland where everybody's always you know, going about, oh, they're so nice there and everything is so beautiful. And, you know, Ken Harvey used to write CODCO material. Ken Harvey used to write the, you know, where there was just a rape on every page and more and more child abuse and terrible things. And yes, yeah, so Newfoundland has gone from her dark past into this glorious, neither one of which was true, into this glorious brightness of kindness, compassion and love. But like the guy from Gander said about the come from away, well, what the fuck did they expect us to do? Let them starve to death? Like no Newfoundlander would have written that play because it wouldn't seem like anything. Like people are in trouble. And what do you do? Like they do it in, you know, like everywhere, even in England, when they were being bombed, everybody came together to help each other. People who had nothing were, you know, even in Toronto, when the lights went out that time, like people were having barbecues on the street and sharing with their neighbors who didn't have It's just what people, human beings, do in times of trouble, and we forget about it because we live in places where we turn on and off the lights and turn up and down the heat and think we're in control of things and that we can depend on just ourselves till the elevator stops working and you're on the 80th floor, of course. But you know what I mean? We forget who we are, I think. And so it was great. I mean, I love that show and everything and that it celebrates that. But I think that people who live closer to subsistence haven't forgotten that yet. And people who live in big cities and stuff forget that they're just like that, too. You know, that's what happened when the lights went out in Toronto, you know. It was a wonderful time. Yeah, see? And people are still talking about the Blitz in England. Oh, my God.
0: That's when I was born. We were all created when the lights went out. But it's funny, reading a lot about your... I haven't read your book. I should, because it sounds like novels are are the place to be in. I now have time, so I'm going to read it. Reading about your home, like I grew up in this little itty-bitty family. It was just me and my mom. You came from a huge family, but not so great.
2: (laughs) Well, I grew up next door to my family, to my huge family. They lived at number seven Carters Hill, and I lived at number nine Carters Hill with my two maiden aunts and an uncle. Really, seriously, I'm 69 now. I'm just starting to get over that. I'm starting to move to the other side of that. It just would seem so ridiculous. And why was I, you know, and at the same time, it was impossible to ask because you were always afraid the answer was going to be because you were no good. At eight months old, we could tell. And so we gave you away and you couldn't really ask the people who were looking after you because it would seem so ungrateful to be asking those questions. So I never had the gall or the nerve to ask why. Though my sister, who lies like a rug, said it was because mom really thought, you know, I could do better and stuff like that. And she, you know, that she did it. Which, you know, I never saw my mother act that way at all. But, you know, I'm very close to my family now. And I'm just so grateful. Like Wendy said, my son, there's just him. But he's got a stepbrother and a stepsister. And also he has three other children from his birth family who he's never met And so I'm thinking, you know, because as I've gotten older, I've gotten closer and closer to my family. And it's just such a, you know, like all the things like I thought Newfoundland was terrible. I thought my family were terrible. You know, all the things I was absolutely wrong about everything, apparently, as it turns out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, everyone told me I came from a broken home, but I like I thought it was great. I was an only kid. Everything was wonderful. And then my mom in their 30s started dating this guy and he proposed. And I was thinking marriage, kids, I don't know. I, I got it pretty good <laughs> being the center of attention. But then she got old and got Alzheimer's and I was the only one to look after. It would have been nice to, like, I'm, I'm so glad you're tight with your family.
2: Yeah, no, it's great. It's really good. Yep.
1: I have to throw in my two cents worth because there's something, Mary, this is pretty funny. I actually was abandoned. When I was 12, my family moved to Toronto from Montreal and they put me in a convent boarding school. And I'm not sure why I have three younger brothers and sisters. And to this day, my parents are both gone. And I once asked my mother why I was put away. And she said it was to save my marriage, which confused the hell out of me because it was very close to my dad. And I'll never get any true answers. That's for the psychiatrist couch. But let me tell you, reading your book about the nuns on the hill that run your life and then running wild on Crescent Street. hello. That's how I. I was fifteen. We used to go drinking at a bar called Shea Jilly's on Drummond Street, which was a lesbian bar. And I don't think any of us were acknowledged lesbians at the time, or I mean, to ourselves or anything. But it was a safe place to go. Strangely enough, because you didn't have that same fear of, well, they'd hit on us, but they wouldn't penetrate us. (laughs) I don't don't know. There was that sort of underlying understanding that you know these women aren't going to hurt you. So that was my experience. And reading your book, sure as hell wasn't yours.
2: You had a rough time. I didn't go to Montreal then. I mean, I went to Montreal later, but I didn't get to go to Expo. I didn't make it in the choir. You know, Sister Catherine noticed that it was me who was throwing the altos off, and so I got taught. And then I never got knocked up either. You know, it's the first book, so there's things in there. Like, I didn't grow up with my mother and father and my brothers and sisters. You know, my beginnings were very different, and I didn't get to Crescent Street until I was working at the CBC, I went to visit my friend in Montreal, and she was in with this guy who was a pornographer. And like, I was 18, but very young, 18. And like everything you pick up, like I put it in the book, everything you picked up was like a penis. So, like would it, you it went for salt and pepper it was like a naughty nun with her tits out. It was like, oh my God. Anyway. So uh, yeah, it was quite, but that didn't happen to me. I didn't get to go to Expo. Yeah. But you're both you both come from these tortured
0: backgrounds with, you know, mothers and felt abandoned and, and you're both funny. So there's, there's something there. So it's, it's not just Newfoundlanders who like go through a hard time and become funny. Like you're kind of funny, too, Maureen. So it's I, I guess we're back to the is everybody the same or is Newfoundland special?
1: There are very few funny people who come from absolutely well-adjusted backgrounds. I mean, there may be a few. I don't know. Mary, do you know any?
2: No. I mean, look at Chris Rock. You know, he had a terrible go round, right? Which is really so sad when you saw what happened the other night. And it just occurred to me just before we got on, like I felt physically sick when I saw that happen. I really did. And I knew it was real. My husband said, oh, that's just part of the, you know, but I knew it was real because if you've ever been smacked, you know, punched in the face, you know, what's a punch in the face and what's a You know, you can tell, you know, like I don't get sick when I see people being punched in the face on movies, but I knew this and my heart came right up my throat. And it really reminded me, I thought, wow, like this guy who used to punch me in the face was my boyfriend for a while. And I was in the Dominion Drama Festival was kind of my first thing. And I guess I was about 17 or 18. And I was playing Magda Gorst's lesbian lover in a play called Without Any Irony at All, Little Boxes. And me and this guy, you know, this abuser, were sitting at the Dominion Drama Festival. They used to take everybody on tours of the beer things in the afternoon, you know, the beer factory, the beer, whatever. And so everybody used to get pretty tanked up. So he had gotten really loaded. And when he was loaded, that was the worst. And so someone was on stage and then he started yelling at the person on stage. But he got taken out I was so relieved. And so I got to sit there for the rest of the, you know, it was only the beginning of the night. And I think it must have been the awards. And they just took him right out of there and threw him out. And I thought, he can't get back in here. Like, I'm going to be blamed for this, but he can't get back in here at me. And I'm safe for now. And I thought, wow, I, I hadn't thought of that the other night. And I hadn't thought of it in all these days that I've been talking about it and worried about it and just felt so overwhelmed by it and feel so sorry for Chris Rock and. I hadn't remembered that it was an award show, and that he had screamed, you know, shut up, fat lady, and then kept, you know, going on until the things came and got him. And luckily he was, I think he took a few shots at them, and I just sat there looking straight ahead, like praying, praying, praying that they would get him out, you know, so at least I could enjoy the rest of the award show, which the, you know, I suppose they couldn't really take Will Smith out.
1: I think we're all on the same page here. Comedians shouldn't have to be punched or hit. That should not be an occupational hazard.
2: No.
0: I sort of, sort of wonder though, Mary, like you said that you were with a guy who like punched you. I know women who have been in abusive marriages and yet they're all like super fierce, strong, powerful, successful women. Like why do women let all this shit happen? And then how do you make yourself so fearless?
2: Well, I don't think women let all this shit happen, Wendy. I think that's the wrong question. I'm really sick of that question. And the other question I'm really sick of is, why do women stay? First of all, the question is, why would someone like Will Smith, who has hands like ham hocks, hit five foot four, tiny, tiny, with his hands behind his back, Chris Rock? Because he figured he could get away with it. I bet he wouldn't hit Jason Momoa, you know? And why women stay is because when women leave, that's when they're at their most danger. They get killed. So I think that's the wrong question. Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree. I guess I'm, I'm coming at this because my good friend, Anna Maria, just has done this podcast about being married to some guy who almost killed her. And I'm just like, the reaction to her has been so much, like, you're so strong. You're so powerful. And yet we're all just people, right? And we all get into situations and and Sarah Polly has written about how, you know, stuff happened with her and Gameshi And and it is this whole, I guess, people's reaction, not so much my reaction, because my question might be bad.
2: So there are obviously people out there, most of them men, and I suppose there are some women, too, who feel, I mean, just to try to be understanding, I guess, such rage and frustration Chris Rock was on one a podcast and he talked about how when he went to Brooklyn first from wherever they were from, he was bullied unbearably every day. He used to get the shit kicked out of him every day. And one day he took a brick to school and he hit the bully with the brick and hit him and hit him. And at the end of it, he had beaten up this guy and he thought, I will never, ever, ever let myself get this angry ever again, right? And he never did. And, and that's why I guess he was, you know, because the natural instinct, if somebody hits you, is to hit back whether you make connection or not. And I guess because he'd made that commitment to himself that he'd practice that all the time of never being that angry again, never letting himself go to that place.
1: It's fight or flight, though, isn't it? That's an immediate instinct is you're either going to back away or you're going to respond and respond
0: causes escalation. I just find it really interesting that, like, because Mary, I see you as a really brave, strong person. And so reading about how, like, you had to steal yourself for some of the Margdale hunty things, like, it's just, I don't know, it's just like, I see you as like, superwoman. And then reading that there's this little person inside, going, oh, my God, should I really do this? Like, I just find that so interesting. And I guess that's how I linked it back to this idea of Like why all these super strong women, like what are they doing with these men who are fucked up? But I guess we're all just fucked up. Like it's not why do you let things happen? It's that everybody's human, right?
2: Well, women are brought up in a way where, in my generation anyway, where if you didn't have a fella, you were, uh, you know, really not worth anything, right? It was absolutely necessary that you had a fella. So really in my crowd, being one was just not acceptable at all. So, you know, that was the general social kind of, you know, thing at the time. And so I think that a lot of women, you know, I mean, come on, 50s housewives, you know, gobbling down mill towns, you know, living in the suburbs with the, you know, the aqua fridge and matching stove, you know, just out of their minds with misery. I mean, I don't understand why, Wendy, you're even asking that question because, why do women like, why is society built like this? Why does it keep going on? Why do women only make 70 cents for every dollar a man makes? Why are women told repeatedly that they're not as good, that they're no good, that they haven't contributed anything to art or culture or engineering or anything else? And it turns out that, of course, we've just been doing it all, you know, in the background. So I don't think the question of why I mean, I think the answers are, you know, in neon lights out there as to why and why you might feel, you know, if you've had a lifetime of being in the Catholic Church, and I'm sure in the Christian Church generally, women were seen as vessels of sin, as the tempters, as Eve with the apple, as Pandora with that box. So, you know, in our Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian culture, women have had a pretty bad name, you know, so that some young woman growing up, this would become part of you. I mean, I'd have to be on mill towns myself all the time growing up, all through high school. I'd have to do acid just to not let that get in in some way, you know? What are mill towns? Are they like Valium? They're Valium. Yeah, yeah. They're old-fashioned Valium. Yeah. How did you psych yourself up? Like,
0: I'm sorry to get really tacky here, but
2: I think you loathed Stephen Harper, but
0: you kissed him. So, like,
1: what? Tell us about that. What was that like? Were his lips
2: cold? Oh, yeah. I did that because I don't know, because he was such a stick. You know what I mean? That was before he became prime minister and became such an autocrat. But at that point, when he was running for the head of the, you know what I mean? He was against this and against that, and they're all against everything. And the hair that, you know, like somebody said, he used to take it out of the fridge every morning and put it on, you know, like, what was that guy from the Munsters? Like, what's his name? Munster hair. And so I just thought I'd do it just because I would disturb that, you know. So was he hot when you kissed him? Like, was there something? Think about it, Wendy. I don't want to think about it. (laughs) Yeah, I know.
1: Are any politicians hot? I got to ask you both this. You've spent a fair amount of time around politicians by choice or by not. Is there anybody that you found, and you know, male, female, old, young, attractive?
2: Not really. Like, I really liked John Chrétien because he had a great sense of humor. He was very much at home with himself. You know what I mean? But here's an interesting story. John Chrétien and Rick Mercer had the same experience. They both didn't want to go to school. He was with the Jesuits, so he was at a boarding school like you, Maureen. But Rick was at home with his mother and there was a test or something that day for both of them. I mean, they were in, you know, different times and different places, but Rick pretended that he had appendicitis, right? But Rick's mother was a nurse. And so she knew, you know, Rick was going, oh, oh, oh," in all the wrong spots, you know, she made him get up and go to school. But at the boarding school, he actually had to go in and they put him out to give him surgery to get that appendix out when there was nothing wrong with his appendix at all. He just wanted to avoid the test. I think I got that right. I think he told me that story. Definitely, I got it right about Rick. But I think he told me that story about having his appendix out.
0: Lawrence Martin wrote about that in his book, about how he was—he had to sit for law school or something. And he told his mom, no, I'm so sick. I've got this pain. And he must have pointed to the right place or she didn't know. And he went and he had the surgery. I just think that's so amazing. It just shows how freaking pig-headed he is.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's been through a lot. So he's really I thought he was really interesting. And I I just really enjoyed him. Talk about a big family. There were like 19 kids or something like that that
0: lived. So his mother must have been like pregnant from. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I didn't find politicians too, too hot either. Although apparently Stephen Harper and I went to he told me that we went to public school together. And I couldn't remember. So I just, that was at the age of like grade three. We were all like the same size. So I used to get in fights with boys. So I just hope it wasn't for that.
1: Honestly, Wendy, everybody I know says they went to school with you. And I know a secret about Wendy.
0: Oh, no, 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 no.
1: Yes, I know a few. But one of them was she was a cheerleader.
0: She doesn't want anyone to know that. Like, why are you ashamed of that? Because it's not who I want to be. I want to be like a princess warrior. I want to be, I want to be like Mary.
2: I would have been a cheerleader if I had any chance of getting on the cheerleading squad, even though it was Holy Heart of Mary or Hardy Hole of Mary, as we used to call it. You know, I would have done it. I mean, I just never did anything because I was afraid I would fail, really. One year, I was the principal's favorite and our teacher in grade four and five, I was her favorite, too. I guess because I was, you know, grew up with two maiden aunts and an uncle, I was precocious, right?
0: Well, and hormones change everything. Like grade seven, I was star of the school play. And grade eight was like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Please just let me disappear.
1: Mary, when did you first know you were
0: funny?
2: Well, you know, the thing is, everybody in Newfoundland is pretty funny. I really, my family is very funny in a very mean kind of way. It took me a long time to kind of break out of that. And they moved around the Bay when I was about 11. So when I was 12, I went and spent a couple of weeks with them. And they were all, you know, my mother was very funny. Everybody was very funny. My little brother was very funny. Like I was just writing, trying to write a comedy routine about how would they know when I was eight months old that I wasn't going to be funny? You know, was it my timing? Was it the material? But, you know, I do remember being there and telling what I thought was something funny. And then everybody kind of just...
1: he didn't land it.
2: And then going back to, you know, whatever they were at. you know, So I didn't really think I was funny. Neither did I really want to be funny. I wanted to be a journalist. Actually, by the time I got to the end of high school, I was really, you know, wasn't attending very much and stuff, and I didn't have the, the grades to go to, you know, Carlton to journalism school. So, but you kind of are a journalist. Well, I know that this hour twenty two minutes was the best job for me because I could get, though I wasn't a journalist, I could get to play one on TV. So that was good. <laughs> Hi there. Just so you know, Mo and I
0: are not just the queens of podcasting. I'm not sure we're even that, but do go on. We're not part-time cowgirls. We just made that up.
1: But we are writers. We're writers. Wendy and I write a newsletter on Substack. It's a weekly roundup of thoughts and experiences, sometimes serious, often not.
0: Yeah, you're pretty funny. You, you write about falling down a lot. Uh, you write about your dog. I do. You write about sex and politics and COVID. All very, very
1: serious things. We have a few thousand subscribers, both free and paid. And you could be one of them if you'd like. Just go to Substack.com and look us up by name or go to our website at womenofillrepute.com and sign up there. We'd love to meet you there.
0: And now, back to being the queens of podcasting.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: (laughs) The Women of Ill Repute. So what do you watch now? Like, I used to love Jon Stewart, and now I watch his new show, and it's too serious. I know, I know. So I don't know whether we want people to be comedians or journalists. And then Maureen and I are doing this thing where she's a comedian, and I'm a journalist, and we're trying to work things
2: out. Like, what's serious? What's funny? Can the two be melded? You kind of brought the two together. I thought that was that whole question was brought to the fore at the Oscars. You know, alopecia is something that anybody who's bald has. It's not leprosy. It's not, you know what I mean? And I know that we say that somebody's pain is just as big as somebody else's pain, but it's not true, really, I guess. You know, when you're being impaled It's not the same as having a pimple. I mean, there are, you know, relativity does really exist. And so to get hit for making a joke, I mean, I just don't know where comedy is. I just really don't know. And then for him to get a standing ovation. Oh, that's the worst. That was the worst to me. It's just like you just go, wow, will it be all right for people to make a joke? You know, like Dave Chappelle has been saying, you know, that you know it isn't safe to make jokes anymore, and all the cancel culture and stuff like that. And other people have been saying, well, you know, you can't make jokes about fat people, say, or you can't make jokes about, you know, all those easy jokes you were riffing off before. You can't do that anymore. But now we come to a place where I think male pattern balding is huge, and that is alopecia. You know what I mean? So I didn't know she had alopecia. I thought when I looked at Jada. I thought, oh, my God, I love her hair. And it goes so well with that kind of Victorian dress she has on. It's so beautiful. So how in the name of Christ would, I don't know, anybody else know? And even if they did know, what odds? You know what I mean? I think that's what I think. So I don't know what's going to happen, really. Like, I guess things are weird right now at the butt end of a plague. We had a global plague. And people have had to do things they didn't want to do. And they've been mad and angry. And there's been all this pent up, just anger at everyone and everything. And so we see it play out even at the Oscars, you know, like it's just weird. So we're in a weird time, I think. But no doubt the pendulum will swing right back the other way in the same way it did against feminism. You know, when 13-year-old girls were giving boys blowjobs and rainbow blowjobs, so all the di- girls would wear different colored lipstick. And, you know, and I remember my son was going to a Buddhist school at the time, and Miss Jane, who was the uh, head teacher, had to take all the girls in grade 8 and 9 aside and say, you know, sex is something that is for both parties, both a man and a woman. You're not supposed to just be providing pleasure. You're supposed to be getting pleasure. But the backlash had been so great at that point, you know, that everybody was going around with hardly anything on giving rainbow blowjobs. No doubt we're going to swing back from this, too. I hope, you know, that seems to be the way it goes.
1: I have to bring something up. I think this is a good time to do it. So, Mary, you impersonated Wendy. why what? You impersonated Wendy. You've made jokes, but you've impersonated her as well.
0: Yeah, you did this thing. I was on Undercurrents and you did something about how I was a little fart in the wind and I was like,
2: <gasps> a fart in the mitt, a little fart in the mitt. Yeah. As Marg, I remember doing that. I remember, and little Wendy Mesley, sure, she's only as big as a fart in the mitt, but I don't remember impersonating you. Oh, maybe you didn't. Maybe she just made jokes about you. Maybe Kathy impersonated you.
1: Kathy did. It was Kathy who did
2: you. Kathy is much more of an impersonator than me. I'm the person who called you the fart and a mitt, only the size of a fart and a mitt. And Kathy must have impersonated you. Yeah, no, I don't
0: remember the impersonation. You made fun of me. And I I was like, oh, no, Mary's making fun of me. I'm not as bad as Stephen Harper. And I should have been honored. Like, if you could, like, do anything now, I would be like, oh, Mary, Mary knows that I exist. It was so stupid. but
2: I mean, comedians, good comedians anyway, they don't kick down. They only kick up. You know what I mean? So it means that you're right there, up there, you know, like uh, being a part of our lives and, you know, an important part of our lives, important enough so that we notice you. And especially people who impersonate other people, like they notice you, they clock every move that you make, every word that you say. It is the greatest kind of um, like because we all want to be seen. We all want to be known. You know, that's what we long for from other people. And so being impersonated by someone means that somebody really has paid attention. I know. No, I should have been. I should have been
0: grateful.
1: Well, you are now. Mary, you didn't marry till you were 52.
2: Was I 52 or was I 50?
1: Well, you didn't marry till later.
2: No, I was 50 because this is our 20th anniversary. Wait, at twenty, I was born in 1952 and we got married in 2022, I think. So I was 50, I think. But now how can this be our 20th? Oh, yeah, because I'll be 70 in May and we got married in August. So then I'll be good God. Yeah. So we've been married 20 years. Yeah. So why? I don't know. You know, I love Don and he's wonderful, but we have separate homes. And that really wasn't something that Don was interested in. He's an 18th century scholar and so very conservative in very many ways. Right. But really, I couldn't take it. I mean, really not Dawn. It was really me and my expectations of what a wife was and what a wife should do and being in charge. And I had a son who was 12, 13 at that time and being in charge of the emotional temperature in the room and just trying to keep all the balls in the air. And I just couldn't. uh, I mean, maybe stronger people, better people, people who weren't abandoned when they were eight months old. Maybe they could do it. I couldn't. I mean, I'm still with Don and I are still together. We spend every day some part of every day together. We go on holidays together. We spend the weekends together. Of course, we haven't gone on any holidays in the last couple of years. But so it's it's really good. It's really worked out really well for me anyway and I think for Don too actually. Yeah, no, I've no idea why I got married. I mean, it just seems like that whole being brought up to think you, you know, like I had already come round to going, well, I am a spinster. What odds? I don't care. My son and I were living in Halifax. We had great friends. We had a great life. This hour is 22 minutes was going really well. I was happy as Larry. And then I met Don, and he wanted to get married. And I thought, I mean, I remember talking to Shirley Douglas and Shirley going, married? Oh, no, darling, no. Move in together. Yes, certainly, but not married, darling. And my sister saying to me, oh, my God, no, married? And because her husband had died maybe five years. And she said, I have never been as happy. Since Johnny died. Because now I can come home and I can lie down in the middle of the fucking stairs if I want to, and nobody to tell me any fucking different. And it was like women who have gone from being somebody's child to somebody's wife to being somebody's like that air that comes with, you know, being your own person. You can Stop being the object of somebody else's desire and start being the subject of your own life, you know, and there's a great freedom in that and a great joy, right?
0: I completely get it because I didn't, well, I married young and that didn't work out. And then I married when I was older and that's worked out much better. And he's much more sort of independent or able to have a, a life without an adoring wife. But I sort of wonder about the like why do you care about somebody's expectations? I guess I guess because you have to you have to get along with somebody else that if you're gonna live with them, right? So it wasn't like wearing saran wrap or an apron or
2: I, I don't think I was caring about his expectations, though they were there too, because he'd grown up in a very traditional home where they weren't allowed to talk at the table unless they had something to say. You know what I mean? And the father was the doctor. And the mother, they'd been the first couple who'd graduated as a married couple from McGill. And she had studied science of some sort, but basically she took care of the home and his office did his books and things like that. Maybe she had an economics degree. I'm not sure. But he was very, very expectant of that, too. But really, that wasn't what the problem was. The problem was my expectations of myself. Could I do this? How did I do this? You know, if I knew how to do it, if all these things were wrong with me, I could be in charge of the emotion. I could keep things happy. You know, Wendy, again, It's not the question of somebody else's expectations. It's the question of the world's expectations and my embracing those expectations and then trying to do a really bang up job, a perfect job, in fact, being, you know, a perfect wife. Without the saran wrap.
1: What's the saran wrap? (laughs) You wrap, you get naked and you wrap yourself in saran wrap. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In the Mad Men days, that's what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to greet your husband with a martini wearing saran wrap.
1: That is such a confluence of domesticity and perversion. Like, it's just so bizarre, like leftovers.
0: I don't think there were leftovers involved, but, you know, to each his own.
2: I don't think you were allowed to serve leftovers.
1: (laughs) Mary, I love your, uh, it's a throwaway, but it's really funny. The three stages of womanhood, young, middle-aged, and...
2: Oh my God, Mary, you're looking good. Mary, you're looking amazing. (laughs) Are you happy? Yes. I've got a lot of projects on the go. Like, you know, my natural state is resentment and rancor. You know what I mean? I fall If I stop at all, I fall deeply into that. So I have to work against that all the time. But basically, you know, I am happy and I try to be grateful. You know, I I spent all those years, you know, I mean, I think, you know, just that's why I felt so sorry for Chris Rocks because I think a series of, tumbling things, one of them being that you get hit a lot. You tend to think of yourself as a victim. And because looking back now, I realize that if I hadn't come out of the background that I'd come out of, the first time he hit me, it's not like nobody said, I remember my sisters taking me aside and going, oh no, if he hit you, that's the beginning of the end. Because once he's that mad that he hits you, he's going to be that mad again. And then what's he going to do? He's going to, you know... And I thought, no, 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 he's not going to do that because he said he wasn't going to do it. And, you know, so once you get into that place and once you get really afraid and fearful and terrified, it's hard then to not fall into that. Those little grooves have been, you know, neuroscience says that we grow those telomeres or whatever they are between our brain there. And then they're easy enough to fall down into. You know, if you get hungry, angry, lonely or tired. I never get hungry, by the way angry not so much anymore. Not lonely. I gotta say, and maybe it's because I grew up with those two maiden aunts and uncle. I'm never as happy as when the day is over and I lock the door and I'm just alone, you know? And I really like that. And I never realized because I always was so scared of being alone. I was always terrified of being alone, which I'm sure is why I got married and all those things. But now I love so but tired. I do get tired. And then I'll tell you, Wendy, I my old why doesn't the CBC hire me? Why aren't I doing a thing on the CBC? I did all these shows on the CBC Tuesday night. They're all people that I hire first Wednesday night, the same fucking thing, you know, so I can go there very easily. Hey, Say anything you want about the CBC. No, no, no. I'm just saying, I'm not saying that I'm saying it. I'm saying these are the feelings that I have. And so I have to avoid them because what good are they to me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no good except to keep me in a place that I don't want to be in unhappy. And I have to say, I am probably happier than I've ever been, you know, from the time I was when I can remember to now. You know, I I find these later years really, really good years. And they do say, it's not just me, you know, that people get happier as they get older. There's a curve, right? You go sort of down in your 40s and 50s, and then you start to go up. And that's not dependent on money or health, Now, you may not be happy, happy, because maybe you were really, really miserable, but you are happier in your later years than you ever were. And I find that to be quite true. For all of
1: us.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think we should get the word out there about that. You know what I mean? Because people think, oh, old age, it's going to be so miserable. And certainly, you know, life is hard for sure, hey? Yeah,
0: I find that getting old is, uh, is scary because things don't work the way they used to. But I just find my heart is open, my brain is open, and I have more time to be with the things that I love and care about. And friends, like who knew? Who knew there were stars in the sky? Who knew there were friends? And anyway, I'm realizing all of this stuff. And maybe, you know, it's too bad to do that in your 60s, but better late than never.
2: That's the way of everyone. It's not just you, Wendy. That's the way it goes. That's the human condition, Right. And I was just saying that I had to use this cream from my other area. And I sort of went, oh, fuck it. I'm not going to do it. I don't really use that anymore anyway. And I, I was like horrified with myself. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, what kind of thinking is this? And then I thought, well, maybe that's the way that the thousand tendernesses that life is like. As things aren't useful to you, you just forget about them. Like if you've got a frozen shoulder and then you sort of think, oh, well, how much was I going to lift with that shoulder anyway? And then you fall down, break your hip. Then you're in a in a wheelchair and the whole bottom half is gone. And then sooner or later, there you are dead. And you've gone to it bit by bit by bit. Each thing being more accepting, you know what I mean? As you go, along? oh, well, there you go. Bye. <laughs> now I'm dead. Sounds glorious. Not. No, thank you.
0: I never think I'll be in a wheelchair, but I never thought I'd get old either, so.
1: It sounds fine. We're all in it together. This, we're all in together. Nobody escapes this.
2: Yes, this, we are definitely all in it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love that the notion that acceptance has to, that's why it's so great to get old in some way too, because you are more accepting of life the way it really is, right? Which is, involves death and that's it. Like I used to always say my favorite Aunt Aunt May, I used to always say, if Aunt May dies, not when Aunt May dies, but like if Aunt May dies, if I should ever die, say, you know. But, you know, as you get closer to it and then each moment, like Wendy was talking about, becomes more precious in a way and you get more enjoyment out of things, you know, because you still are learning. Like I find I get quite cranky when I write and so I'm very bad tempered when I write So I try to avoid writing. And now I understand why I try to avoid writing because I get so bad tempered. And of course, I'm still at that childish phase where I kind of take it out on the people around me. And I start talking to the woman I work with, like, I already said that. I said that I wanted that to, you know, like, who do I think I am? So I'm trying to learn how to be a decent human being and still write. I don't know if I'll ever get there, but work sometimes makes me quite bad tempered though I don't want to retire or anything.
1: Happy medium. A little bit of work, a little bit of play. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a little bit of wine, a little some walks, some kite surfing if you're Wendy. Yeah. You don't drink? Not
2: anymore, eh? No, I haven't. I'll be 30 years in October if I live that long. Wow. Yeah. I think I had enough. Like I drank enough, like I'm you know, if you put it out over all the years, it'd be be fine. I'd still have my quota of liquor.
0: I'm still working on it. So yeah. Mary, it's been so lovely to talk to you. I I've got like a bazillion more questions. I'm sure Maureen does too, but
1: Well, I just hope you'll come back. I want to thank you for doing this. It's been absolutely wonderful. And also very educational. I think we now know what a rainbow blowjob was. We might not have known that before.
0: <laughs> they were all the rage for a while. Yeah. So were pill parties. I told my daughter about don't take the pills out of the bowl from all of the parents when you go to so-and-so's party. And she'd go, mom, like, come on. That's like an urban myth.
1: Yeah, I think so. I never went to a pill party,
2: but then I never gave or received. Well, we didn't even have any pills for Christ's sakes. Right? We had mill towns. I would have definitely. there been any on offer.
1: Well, on that note, Mary, thank you so much. Would you come back if we
2: asked you? Absolutely, you guys. So great to see you. Good to see you, Wendy. I miss you on CBC. I really do. Honestly, I'm not saying this. You know, I just miss you. Like you were a great presence there. And all. Oh, I feel like you were there my whole life, but I know you weren't. And then I never can make that joke over like. Uh, the fart in the mist. I am the size of three regular size Canadian actresses, you know. Cynthia Dale, I forget Sheila McCarthy, something, and still room right here to squat in little Wendy Mesley, but I, that might be awkward where Wendy and Cynthia both banged Peter Manfred. Oh, who's the hypotenuse on that toxic little triangle? I wonder.
1: You're saving all this for the end? Are you kidding me?
2: Yeah, no,
0: it was a, it was a sad time. I didn't leave the way I wanted to leave. That's for sure. But it doesn't sound like you did either. But anyway, lots of great times, and you were there, and you did, your, you did your stuff, and so did I, and we're both proud of most of it.
2: I have lots more stuff. Like, my therapist goes, but look at all the people who you helped, like, to get there. I go, well, fuck them. Yeah, I'm really glad they got a series, but where's my fucking series? You got a decade, yeah. I know I'm supposed to be bigger. My heart is supposed to be bigger than that. I'm supposed to be a bigger person. But maybe by the time I'm 80... You'll have a series on c b c and we'll be watching. No, I'll be a bigger person.
0: <laughs> love you, Mary. okay, guys,
1: take care bye bye bye, Mary. Thank you Bye-bye.
0: Oh, she was great, yeah, we had another little fight, but you know I, I I think she said some really it was kind of like my chat with John Stewart where I was pushing, and he goes no you're you're full of it, but then talked about such meaningful things, so. I'm glad when you asked whether she was happy or not, I, you know, I just find it so interesting that all of us, even whatever age we are, like her at 80 or whatever, just trying to sort of figure out how to be brave, how to be fearless, how to be angry at things that make you angry and yet to be a good, decent person. She's special.
1: She struck me. I mean, I love her. I love her fearlessness and how comfortable she is in her own skin. I found that she had a very tender approach to you, Wendy. I don't know if you picked up on that. I think she really, she loves you. I I mean, you probably don't know each other particularly well. I mean, I feel the same way. I was really sad to see you go, but maybe you'll always be my friend. But I really sensed from her a tremendous tenderness towards you. And she schooled you a couple of times and, and wasn't afraid to do that.
0: No, which I think is great. Like, that's what I love about her and that I miss in the world that we live right now, that people can't just say, no, I disagree. Or you hurt my feelings. And then the other person learns from that and then they come together like you and I have arguments sometimes and we work them out. Not everyone's a twin, you know, and we have to keep learning from each other. And I just, I wish she did have a series because there's not a lot that I watch on mainstream television anymore, but I'd watch whatever she did because she's got so much to say.
1: Never say never, you know, I mean, first of all, she does look really good, Mary. (laughs) She looks great. She sounds great. She's totally with it. She's funny as hell. Also something that a lot of people may not know about Mary Walsh is she's a, she's quite an intellectual. I mean, she's, she's run book clubs. She's a real patron of the arts. Her husband's a PhD. What what, what did she say? An 18th century
0: scholar? Or something like yeah, no, I, I was going to ask her. So who's smarter? He's like the PhD scholar and you're a comedian, like who's smarter? Cause he, I read something where he said, well, she's way smarter. She's written three books and they're all got way more in them than I could ever teach. So it's uh and that they that they live separately too it's just that's interesting yeah she's just and that she was i mean we got into an argument about how you know she could be with somebody who would hit her which i just think is so fascinating because women including my friend anna maria who i've known since ottawa a thousand years ago is writing now about you know how she married a guy who almost killed her it's just it's fascinating that women like mary's always been open but A lot of women are strong, powerful women who are not afraid of anything have been made to be afraid. So I just I find that really interesting.
1: Well, I mean, too, just to to her point was that it's as much it's a social thing. And yeah, I I get how she reacted. when said, Why did she stay? We're lucky that we've never been in that position. And as such, we probably can't even begin to fathom why that happens. But she's been through it. She's been through it all. Alcoholism, abuse, abandonment. And as a result, I would argue, was funny as hell and incredibly warm. And I just, I feel nourished. I feel that Mary Walsh is like like an angel, like a guardian
0: angel almost. It sounds so silly that I, you know, had my heart broken when she made fun of me. But it was because Mary Walsh, I love her. I love her. So I still love her.
1: Well, we'll have to get Kathy Jones on and get her to impersonate you to your face.
0: (laughs) I'm not sure that ever happened. I should have corrected. It wasn't really an impersonation. So we'll have to...
1: No, that was my fault. It was Kathy. I do remember Kathy Jones doing an impersonation of you and Peter Mansbridge, your former husband, doing the election return right after your divorce. And I thought it was pretty funny. She played a very pissed off Wendy Mesley. So uh, anyway, comedy always has a target and, you know, sometimes for better or for worse. And as you pointed out, it's kind of an honor to be a target by good comedians. Oh, gee, I didn't watch that. (laughs) There's a few things I didn't watch. She was fun. And now we know what a rainbow blowjob is.
0: Yeah. If only i had known at the time. Well, I probably kind of did, but you know, anyway, she was fun. The women of ill repute with
1: Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway available on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, or at women of ill What happens when we play outside, we become healthier, both mentally and physically.